0: This sermon was recorded at the Church of Christ, Northwest Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth according to the New Testament. Come worship with us Sunday mornings at 1030 at 1708 Elm Springs Road in Springdale, Arkansas. Welcome everyone. Thank you all for being here this morning. I'm looking forward to the study of the morning um, in, in many ways. And in, and in some ways it's, uh, it's a little nerve-wracking just to be perfectly candid and, and uh, vulnerable with you. Uh, because this morning we're going to talk about a very difficult subject. Um, it is a uh, highly charged topic. It is very controversial. I understand that, and there's a lot of emotions attached to uh, this, this subject. So I want to prepare our minds and prepare ourselves uh, in that way and just diffuse any concerns, because, uh, uh, because we need to not shy away from difficult subjects as Christians. We need to talk about important, uh, important things, and this is all done in a spirit of love and understanding of trying to grow in the Scriptures. So this morning, uh, this morning we're going to talk about the subject of homosexuality uh, and what the Bible has to say about this. Now, when we hear about that, we hear this topic, we might kind of uh, tense up and we brace up our, ourselves and our defenses, and our guard might go up, uh, because there is, like I said, it's, it's contentious, it's highly contentious. It's highly emotional, um, but we need to understand for this sermon and what our purpose is this morning as we're studying and approaching this topic, we need to have the right mindset. And, and with that, the purpose of the sermon is not an attack against any, anyone. It's, that's not our purpose uh, as Christians, to uh, go on, on the offensive in that way and, and be offensive to people <laughs> and to attack anyone. Uh, so that's not our purpose here. God doesn't promote that kind of conduct among his people. Uh, this sermon is not motivated by hate against any person or any any people, so it's rooted and grounded in love, and the love of the truth and love of the scriptures. Uh, and thirdly, this is not a topic that is political, and it's, this is not or it is a topic that is political, but this sermon is not grounded in politics. This isn't to push any certain agenda other than being followers of God, uh, and there's no Uh, In my mind, when I'm talking about these these things, there's no political slant one way or another. Uh, We need to remove that from uh, from the conversation and also understand that the pulpit and the teaching and, and having the floor, it's not an opportunity for us to spout off our political ideas and our political leanings. We need to be people that are grounded in the truth and want to pursue that. So with that said, this is not the purpose. So what is the purpose of the sermon? I think there's really two core things that that are the purpose of the sermon. Uh, One, it is for Christians to know what the Bible says. Because we are followers of Christ, we want to know what does the Bible say about this topic, and it's important for us to talk about it, because if we don't talk about it, uh, it's going to cause problems. We're going to become ignorant about what the truth is. We're going to become very confused, uh, because honestly, I mean, We know it is just the reality, and there's nothing uh, sinful in simply stating what is true and acknowledging that it has become widely accepted. Homosexuality is widely accepted, and it is ingrained in our culture, and it's not going anywhere. So we need to know what the Bible says so we know how to to approach this topic and how to deal with this topic uh, properly. I mean, you see it everywhere. It's in, in television. It's in film. It's in music. It's in books. It's even in media that's targeted to children. And there's a whole lot of uh, content out there that's, that's being created now to get children accustomed to this and used to this, these ideas. So your children will be exposed. And, and we're constantly exposed to these things on a regular basis. And with that steady stream of messaging, it just tends to break you down. And your, your guard goes down. Your comfort level become, increases with this. And you're trained from, from your youth up to just be desensitized to this. And we just become comfortable with, with this. Um, and without a solid grounding in what the Word of God teaches, we are going to be very confused about the subject. So we need to know what does God say about this. And, and I think the second purpose, which I think is really the most important purpose of this sermon, is for us to understand how we ought to behave ourselves in this conversation. How we ought to conduct ourselves in, in, with the information that the Bible presents and teaches. Um, because as much as there has definitely been persecution against Christianity uh, for people that are pro, uh, pro-homosexuality, as much as that's true, there's a lot of people historically that have professed to be Christians that have not helped matters by acting inappropriately. and and being spiteful towards homosexuals, or being contentious and being obnoxious and even being malicious towards homosexuals. And that is not the type of conduct, and I think we'll see that borne out in the scriptures, that's not the type of conduct that God wants from his people. So we need to understand what the Bible says and what we should do with that information for our own lives, for our own selves, so that we know how to conduct ourselves properly. So that's the purpose of the sermon this morning we'll talk about some uncomfortable things, some uncomfortable topics, and it's, I hope that you'll receive it in the spirit that it's intended, and, and that we can uh, talk about these things, and uh, study these things together, uh, so that we can grow in our knowledge and, and glorify God ultimately, because that's our, that's our purpose that we want uh, to accomplish. So, so with that, that's our starting point, that's our um, foundation for this study, so what does the Bible say about it? It's important because there's a lot of things we hear from the world that urge us to accept homosexuality as something that's positive and something that's good uh, and something that is not sinful. Um, And if that's not confusing enough for the world to be out here giving us this constant messaging through all the media and all the the things that are going on in our society um, and, and in government, all these areas where the world is pressuring everyone to accept this, if that's not confusing enough, it gets even way more confusing because there's a whole lot of, uh, I'm going to say, the Christian realm, just very broadly speaking, not um, just to encompass everything, whether that's a church or a religious group or some religious organization that's connected to Christianity. That's just going to be an all-encompassing term here uh, as I use it here, Christian realm. It has become very confusing because so many in the Christian realm have adopted this, this messaging and have begun to say, it is acceptable and we affirm, we affirm you and say that this is not sin. I mean, I was doing some research and looking for and looking at the, the churches that are LGBTQ affirming and they say that. That's the definition of, of if you want to find a church that is uh, pro-gay, that's the definition is we don't believe that this is a sin one way or another. And, and they, I understand why people want to go there and say that, because you want to make people feel welcome. But there's ways to make people feel welcome without accepting and just opening the door and approving of their life and their sin. I mean, we're, we all welcome each other here with open arms, but I'm certain there's sin in our lives. I'm certain there's choices that we make that are contrary to the will of God. And we don't accept that and, and say, hey, this is fine. How you're living is just fine. We, we're trying to hold e- each other accountable to the will of God. Um, so you can be welcoming without, without affirming and saying, uh, putting a stamp of, of approval on someone's life. But that's what's happening in the world. So it gets really confusing. It gets really dicey because there's so many denominations out there today that are promoting this. And, and they celebrate... They march in the pride parades with, with the, the people that are celebrating this and, and enjoying and, and you know, celebrating this, uh, this movement. They decorate their auditoriums with the flags. They have ceremonies and they honor the people of, of, among their groups who are homosexuals and they parade them in front of everyone and prop them up and pat them on the back and say, what you're doing is great and God loves you. So it gets really confusing. The best thing we can do to sort out this information is just go to the scriptures and say, and have a mindset that says, what does God say about the matter? So I know there's feelings involved, but more importantly, we need to know what the Bible says. So we'll begin with the, the first example we have of this topic of homosexuality. And the, the first example that's given in the scriptures, as far as the history of humanity, or at least the mentioning that God uh, makes of this, is early in the days of Abraham. Predates the law, and, and he mentions a town called Sodom. Um, now, uh, when Abraham got his nephew Lot, their flocks were growing really, really big, and they just did—they were not able to have their herds uh, together anymore, and so they needed to divide up. So Abraham picked uh, picked land, and he told Lot, "Pick whatever land, and you go to it. Go for it." Lot picked the land that was the most lush and the most beautiful, and he was just looking totally at the material. Uh, benefit he could get from the land and wasn't paying attention to the to the spiritual aspects and the morality of the land, so he went towards the land of Sodom. Now, the Bible describes Sodom this way: Genesis thirteen verse three or thirteen. But the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. So God, from the get go, uh, identifies Sodom was not a place of righteousness. It wasn't a it wasn't a place where uh, God's will was being done. It was wickedness, and they were sinners before the Lord exceedingly. There's a lot of a lot of terrible things happening there um, that were contrary to God's will. At some, Later in the story, in Genesis 18, God comes to Abraham and he says, I'm going to go down to Sodom and I'm going to find out, I'm going to investigate and see whether these things are so, these things that, I've, that have come up to my hearing. And, and if it's true, I'm going to destroy the town and the cities roundabout that are also participating in this. And Abraham begs with him and pleads with him and he says, Lord, why... He says, please don't destroy the righteous with the wicked. So if there's 50 people there that are righteous, will you spare the town? And God says, I will. If there's 50 righteous people among these, these, these men that is described here, he says, I'll spare the town and I won't destroy it. So Abraham goes back and forth. I think Abraham's a little doubtful because he's like, wait, wait, what if it's 45? And God says, okay, I won't do it at 45. And he's like, okay. He's wait, wait, what if it's 30 or 40? And and he just works his way down until you get down to 10. And so God says in Genesis 18, verse 32, or Abraham, he says, oh, not let the Lord be angry, or let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak yet, but this once. Give me one, one more time. Perhaps 10 shall be found there. And God said, I will not destroy it for 10's sake. He says, if there's 10 righteous people in that whole town, and that whole city, then I won't destroy it. And the sad thing is, is there there wasn't 10 people. There wasn't even 10 people that were righteous in that town. That's how wicked this this place was. And we know that because later on in the next chapter, it does get destroyed. But what leads up to that that destruction? Well, God investigates. He sends two angels down into the city. And the, these angels have the appearance of men. And they go into the city to, to investigate and see whether, whether it is true, the sins that they are committing. And and uh, that has come up to the Lord. And so Lot notices these angels come into town. And he invites them into his home. And the angels say, no, we're going we're gonna to be out in the street all night. And he says, no, no, come, come to the house. I think Lot knew. I think Lot knew what these men of the city would do. So he says, no, please come into my house. He's trying to keep these angels safe. Uh, I don't know that if, if he realizes they're angels yet or not. But, but he says, no, come and stay in my house. So they come into his house. And Lot was not the only one that noticed these angels, these men, come through the town. The men of the city noticed too. In Genesis 19, 4 through 5, it says, but before they lay down, so they're, uh, they've eaten supper, they've, 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 you know, I imagine they've sat around, they've done their, the talking they're going to do, and now it's bedtime. So before they go lay down, the men of the city, even the men of Sodom, compassed the house around. They surrounded the house of lot all the men of the city all of them both old and young all the people from every quarter so the, the mentioning there of old and young shows you how how long these things had been going on there and how ingrained it was in their culture that even their youth were involved in this they were surrounding the house imagine if this were the house we would just be surrounded uh, and flanked by tons of men who are who are beating at the doors And they called to Lot and said, Where are the men that came in to you this night? Bring them out to us so that we may know them. And they're not saying, Hey, come out. We want to get to know these strangers and these visitors and welcome them and and be friends with them. That phrase, to know them, means they wanted to have sexual intercourse with them. Now you can look at Genesis 4, verse 1, As as a point of reference. It says that Adam knew his wife. Eve, and she conceived and bare son. So the Bible is talking about this act. It's a sexual act. And they said, hey, where are those guys? Where are those men that came in? And they wanted to rape these angels. And Lot begs and pleads with them, and he says no. And in his, in his feeble attempts, I don't think he does what's right, but he, he tries to avoid that, and he tries to say, no, don't do this wickedness. And their response, they get mad, and they're like, pfft. You're just a visitor. You came to sojourn among us. You're just a stranger and you're you're a judge. Now we're going to treat you even worse. So now they wanted to rape Lot as a punishment for speaking out against us and saying this is wickedness. And so they start pressing the doors. They start trying to beat the doors down. And the angels pull Lot out of that and save them and then strike the men with blindness. And then they flee that town and they run and God destroys that town. Now there's a lot of people that say, no, they, they weren't really trying to do that, and they weren't destroyed because of this, this sin of homosexuality. And I don't think it was just that sin. There was a whole lot of sins, because there's other passages that explain that they were filled with pride. They were filled with with food and abundance. They did not care about the needy. They did not care about helping other people. They were just so lifted up in their own selves, and their own sins. And even this abominable act, as God defines it, uh, they were participating in and wanted to do this horrible thing. Uh, in the book of Jude, we read about this, this town, Sodom and Gomorrah. It says, "In the cities round about them, in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication. So this word, fornication, is, is an all-encompassing word for any type of sexual immorality. So homosexuality is included in that. But it says, they gave themselves over to fornication. They went after strange flesh. It was not appropriate. It was not uh, according to nature, and even more so because these were angels. But they went after strange flesh. They're set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. So God sets up Sodom and Gomorrah as an example now for generations to come. And God always points back to Sodom and Gomorrah when he addresses the sins of his people Israel. Now, that's a, an event that takes place prior to the, the law being issued. And some 400 years later, God would save his people from Egypt where they were accustomed to doing these types of things. They were, homosexuality was commonplace among the people of Egypt. And the children of Israel have grown up there, and that was their environment, and they're, they're accustomed to this now. And even in the land that God led them into in Canaan, they were accustomed to this through their idol worship and their idol practices and their licentious ways. All these things contributed to them being okay with that and living in that way. And so it was among the Israelites, too. They had this, this problem. And so when God issues the law to them, He he specifically addresses these sins for his people Israel. Now remember, it's important for us to know and remember because people will point to the Old Testament and say, you see, God, he's so hateful and he's so vengeful and look at what he tells you to do with gay people. And we need to know, there's a simple answer and a simple way to look at this. Remember that the Israelites had a choice in submitting themselves to the commandments of God or not. And when he brought them out of Egypt, he laid before them all the commandments. And he gave them the blessings they would receive if they obeyed him and the curses they would receive if they didn't. And you know what they said? All the people said, we will obey what God has said. They agreed and made themselves part of this covenant. They accepted responsibility and all the consequences that came with being part of this covenant. And so, so, understanding it that way and understanding that these commandments that God gave were only for his people Israel. They were the ones that entered into this agreement with God and the, they were his people. And he didn't charge them with going around being the world police and trying to force every other nation to follow the laws of God because they weren't subject to the law of God. His people were because they entered into the agreement and chose to submit themselves to that. So that's important, that w- that's important, and we need to know that. Uh, but Sodom is used as an example from that point on in, in, that, in the story, and he mentions it to his people. And this is where we get terminology that we still even use today. So in Deuteronomy 23, verse 17, the Bible said, there shall be no whore of the daughters of Israel, someone who's prostituting herself and doing all these things and being in sexual immorality, and, and among the women and among the men. He says, nor should there be a sodomite among the sons of Israel. We know what sodomy is. And where do you think the term came from? It comes from the act that was going on there in the town of Sodom, the thing that these men, young and old, were participating in and indulging in. And God says, that's not acceptable among my people, Israel. That is not who I want my people to be. And so God clearly says this is condemned. And there was a punishment, a hefty punishment for that. And, and this wasn't the only sin that had this punishment. And this wasn't the only sin that God condemned, this wasn't the only conduct that God didn't want among His people, but since we're focusing on this topic, we're just kind of zooming in on this one thing here, so that's important to remember too. Leviticus 20.13, if a man also lie with a man, in the same way that he would lie with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death, their blood shall be upon them. They made the choice, they made the decision, they made the agreement with God and said we will accept the terms. And they, if you violate that, you will receive the consequence that God said would take place. And so uh, it seems so brutal. It seems so, it seems so like, wild and, and vengeful and judgmental, but it's, it's really not. They had a choice, and they understood what the blessings were if they obeyed and what the curses were if, if they didn't obey. Um, and as harsh as it seems, death is the wages of sin. That's simply true. Uh, There's no sin that is not punishable by death or worthy of death in in the sight of God because we have violated His nature, we have violated His holiness, and God cannot be in the presence of of that and and just simply accept that. Um, Interestingly enough, you know, with this conversation of homosexuality, the, the newest, hottest trend or topic that's going on right now is the topic of transgenderism. Can a man become a woman and a woman become a man? Uh, God specifically mentions this in the law to his people as well, and he, he does not condone this. Uh, in Deuteronomy 22, verse 5, the woman shall not wear that which pertains to a man, neither shall a man put on a woman's garment. For all that do so are an abomination to the Lord thy God. He said, this is not the kind of conduct I want among my people, Israel. So he makes it very clear, very plain in the law. Okay? Okay. Now, that was specifically to the Israelites, but we can't use that thinking and say, okay, it was isolated to them. It doesn't really apply to us because we're not Israelites. Um, But there is a general principle that continues on. It predates the law. It was mentioned in the law, and it's even mentioned in the New Testament. So God continues to teach His people about this sin and the conduct He expects us to have. Um, and, And again, it's not just this sin that God is concerned about. He's concerned about every kind of sexual morality, and wants us to have purity, and he wants us to be uh, good people who are not abusing each other and abusing ourselves and, and using sin to just, you know, dominate our lives. That's, that's what he's concerned with. But Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 1. There's, there's several verses that talk about this. We'll just look at a couple. Uh, Romans chapter 1, 24 through 28. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts now it's interesting and you should go and study this passage for yourself but he lays out a progression of how did people and humanity get to this point it's basically because they reject god they do not want to obey god they do not want to listen to his commandments instead they make idols we make idols and i say they we all as people do this we make idols and we go and worship that and it corrupts our life and we try to ascribe Uh, Whatever we're worshiping, we try to say that, oh, it's God that we're worshiping, but ultimately we're worshiping ourselves, and that will lead us down a dark road. It will, and he describes that here. And when, and here's the other thing. God gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts. You know what that tells us? God isn't going to stop you from doing whatever you want. You get to do whatever you want. Sure. Sure your total freedom to do what, what's in your heart, and God will not stop you. He will give you up to that uncleanness. And, and he talks about doing this with humanity and, and uh, this, these things we're talking about. He says to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. And he just, okay. If you don't want to submit to God, he's not going to force you. What did they do? They changed the truth of God into a lie. They worshiped and served the creature things that God made, the creatures, more than the one who created them, the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. And he says, for this cause, for this reason, they didn't want to submit to God. They didn't want to worship the true God. They wanted to worship themselves instead. For this reason, God gave them up to vile affections. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. It's not according to the design he created. It's not according to how he designed humanity to be. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meat. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. So you see the the pattern here. If you don't want to submit to God and you don't want to worship God, you don't have to but there's consequences to that, absolutely. That's not what God wants. He wants us to follow Him and wants us to be godly. But if we don't like to retain God in our knowledge, He won't retain us in His. And He'll, he'll let us go and pursue those things. But you see, it's condemned here. It's not spoken of in a positive light. And there's other translations of, of the Scriptures. If you, if you look at a translation like the Message Bible... It portrays this like a way, in a way that the sin that they were committing was that they didn't love. They didn't have love. That's the problem. It wasn't that they were men with men or women with women. It was that they didn't have real love. But that's not what the Scriptures are saying. It's, it's very clear and very apparent God is not accepting and, and condoning of this type of behavior. Even we have other verses that also describe these sins of homosexuality and how do we know that God doesn't accept them? Well because these, for these sins you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. First Corinthians 6, 9-10 Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. This is important for us to hear because there's a whole lot of churches out in the world telling you that you can be gay and you're saved and you're fine and you're gonna go to heaven and you're going to be okay. And not just gay, there's all kinds of other sins. You can, I mean, some of these leaders, there's a whole lot of stuff that comes out about their sexual immorality. And they think, oh, I can live this way, and I'm okay, and I'm fine. And so, as easy as it, as it is to just zoom in on this, on this one sin of homosexuality sometimes, and use that uh, uh, as a weapon against other people, and then ignore other sins that are mentioned... That's ignorant, and we shouldn't do that, and not be deceived. Neither fornicators, which again is an all-encompassing term that includes homosexuality, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, men being like women, effeminate, not abusers of themselves with mankind. That means you're practicing this, this sin of sodomy. It's a, a, a catamite, which was somebody who was a slave uh, or someone who, who, uh, someone who was retained. And, and used and prostituted, uh, usually a, a, a boy, uh, for, the, for the sexual pleasure of some man. That was commonplace in Rome. Horrible. It was, co- it was commonplace. Uh, but he says, that, that's the kind of person that will not inherit the kingdom. Neither thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom. And to not inherit the kingdom means you won't go to heaven. Because when Jesus comes, he's coming to gather up his kingdom and deliver it up to God and will inherit the kingdom and the resurrection, and our bodies will be changed, and we'll be able to enter in. Now, that's just the reality of, of what God says about this this subject. So, yes, it is a sin, and now that we know what the Bible says about it, and we have the information, I think this brings up some very important com- conversation or questions, uh, because it's clear that God doesn't condone it or accept it. So, it brings up very important questions. For someone who might be gay or might have these feelings, because whether we might know it or not, it it could be very well in our midst. Someone could be dealing with this and struggling with these feelings. And there's plenty of Christians um, who 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 are throughout the world. So, what does this mean for someone who's gay? Well, first of all, if if someone does not want to follow the Bible and you don't want to be the kind of person that submits yourself to the will of God, we saw in Romans 1, you're free to do so. Make your own choice. God's not going to stop you from doing that. And, and however, every person, we do need to understand, every person will give an account on the Day of Judgment about the choices we made and we're gonna have to account for all the good and the evil that we've decided to do so it's it's very serious it's not just so light and go okay you can do whatever you want no it's you, you can do what you want but understand that there are serious consequences for that and we don't want that for any person but there's nothing we can do if people decide to do that there's really nothing we can do about that but if there's any gay person, any homosexual, anybody that's struggling with these types of sins, if you want, if you want to follow God, if you want to hear God's word and you want that to change your life, this does have some important questions or leads to important questions. What if, what if, because this is a common thing that is, that is trotted out as an excuse or as a reason, what if I think I was born this way? What if I'm dealing with this and I I just, I believe it, I was born this way and I just don't know when this started and it just happened. You hear that that kind of account and that kind of story from people all the time. They just don't know where these desires or these feelings came from. And to that, I'd say even if that is true, and I do think perhaps uh, there's a whole lot of variables, there's a whole lot of factors on, into why someone might uh, environmental factors Uh, there is there is there some innate thing that some people are born with a desire temptation that others aren't maybe so I don't know regardless let's see let's say it's true you were born this way it doesn't matter because everyone everywhere needs to repent of, of what God considers unrighteous if you want to be part of God's kingdom if you want to follow God you have to repent Acts 17.30, in the times of this ignorance, God winked at. But now commands all men everywhere to repent. So it doesn't matter if we were born this way or not. We're, if we want to submit ourselves to God's righteousness and be counted as righteous and we want to be holy and we want to live for Christ, we just have to change. And we have to give that thing up and sacrifice that thing that, is, that may keep us from the kingdom. Um, so the second question that leads to, if that's, if that's true and God wants everyone to repent, is it possible at all to be forgiven of this sin? Maybe you've lived your life this way. Maybe you've, you've had these feelings and you've struggled and you've indulged and you've, you've fought and fought. Can you be made clean for this sin? Yeah. Absolutely. You absolutely can. And not only can you, God. I think God is eager to remove your sins and, and for all people. I mean, the Scriptures make that pretty clear. There's, there's great rejoicing in heaven that happens over a sinner that repents. God is so pleased when people decide to change their unrighteousness and come to him and make you one with him. He wants you to be one with him. And how can we know this for sure? Well, if you remember 1 Corinthians, we read the effeminate abusers of themselves with mankind, but even thieves and, and extortioners and adulterers and fornicators, all these people will not inherit the kingdom of God, but there's hope. Because in verse 11, he says to the Corinthians, our brothers and our sisters at Corinth, there in the first century, he says such were some of you. There were people there at Corinth who were homosexuals, who had come from that life. People there who were extortioners. People there that were effeminate. People there that that were thieves, that were covetous, that were adulterers. Such were some of you. But what happened? But you were washed you were sanctified you were justified in the name of the lord jesus and by the spirit of our god (laughs) how beautiful is that that though we were dead in our sins god will wash us and clean us and make us one with him and justify us our brothers and sisters at corinth had these problems and they were cleansed and they were forgiven of their sins And if God forgives you of your sins, you are forgiven of your sins. (laughs) And yes, it's possible to be forgiven. So what happens afterwards? If somebody decides that they want to follow God, they want to submit themselves to his will, what happens now? The next question I think that a lot of people struggle with, can I live as gay and as a Christian? And the very simple answer is no. We can't. We simply cannot be one with Christ and also live outside of His commandments. Those two are contradictory, and we can't, have, we can't have both of those be true. God makes it plain to the Corinthians, again, speaking to the people who are struggling with these things. And, and look, at verse, uh, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10. He says, You cannot mix the light with the dark. These two have no fellowship one with another. He says, separate yourself, come out from among them, give those things up. It's the same, and and again, this is the same for any sinful behavior. Can you live as an adulterer and be a Christian? Can you live as a pornography addict and be a Christian? Can you be a thief and covetous? Can you be an immoral and unscrupulous business person and be a Christian? No. The answer is, no, we cannot mix light with dark. If we're going to choose to live that way, it's just not going to work. We can't, we can't just embrace a sinful nature and say, this is who I am, and I declare that it is good because I feel good about it, and then project that feeling onto God and say, well, He approves of it too. We can't do that. We, we can't make up the terms and rewrite the rules. It, it is what it is, and God has, has made it plain So what was the remedy for these people who were living with the remnants of these temptations and had come from this life, because habits are hard to break? Absolutely. So what's the remedy? 1 Corinthians 6, verse 17, Paul says this, He that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. You've been united to Christ. You need to understand, uh, people at Corinth and anyone who is dealing with these sexual type of sins, flee from fornication. Every sin that a man does is outside of the body, but he that commits fornication sins against his own body. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have, which you have of God, and you are not your own? For you are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. That's the, the remedy, or at least the, the answer. We can't live as joined together with sin, but still joined together with Christ. We need to glorify Him in our body and our spirit. We need to make decisions that are honoring of God and treat ourselves, treat our bodies respectfully as the temple of the Holy Ghost that is in us if we're washed and we're clean and we're sanctified by the Spirit of of God and through Christ. He says, honor your bodies and don't yield yourself to those sins. Have self-control, okay? But let's look at reality, too. Because it's easy to say, well, just abstain. How is a how is a person a human being supposed to have that level of self control? Some people can, and if you can, good. And I'm talking about uh, being celibate. If if that's that could be an answer, but that's just not the answer for everyone. And it wasn't the answer, I don't think, for these Corinthians. I think they wrote to Paul. There's indications of in the next very next chapter. He he says the things that you wrote to me about. They were wanting to know about this topic of, of, of uh, I believe, intercourse they were probably talking about. So the question I think that would pop up for somebody, and if, if I were in someone's shoes dealing with this, wanting to be forgiven, have been washed and clean, and I'm trying to live a godly life, I think the next question I would have is how can I fulfill these desires that I have, these impulses that I feel in a way that honors God, in a way that honors God. Uh, because God does not want to withhold us from sexual intercourse or sexual relations. He does not want to keep us from that. I think part of, us, I think part of our design as humans was, was it, that was included. He doesn't want us to, to withhold us, but He does want us to carry that out in the proper context. He does want us to do that in an appropriate way. And this proper context is what Paul described in the very next chapter, because we're talking about avoiding and fleeing from fornication to people who are struggling with sexual sins. So what's the answer, Paul? He says in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 2, Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife and every woman have her own husband. That's the answer. Marriage, as God designed it, between a man and a woman. So if you're a man who's struggling with these things, I believe it's possible to find a Christian wife who is understanding, who wants to help you. And if you're a woman that struggles with homosexuality, I believe it's possible to find a man, that, a Christian man who understands and wants to uh, help you and encourage you. And I think, if, I, think, I think about how beautiful that picture is of two people dealing with sin, dealing with these things in their life, and coming together and sacrificing for the sake of one another to help each other be holy people and be godly people. What more beautiful picture could there be of Christ in the church and and the love that we should have uh, in our marriages and the, the bond that we can have and build? Um, that's a remedy that Paul gives for, for these desires. Um, so... <clears throat> That's what the Bible says about this topic. And that's what the Bible says to to people who are struggling with homosexuality. But now I want to talk about what this means for Christians in general. Because that was one of our main purposes, and I think the the most important purpose for us to understand, what do we do with this information? What do we as the church, what do we as Christians uh, do with this? How should we respond to this this time and this movement of the LGBTQ community? I think it requires some humility. And it requires us to be real. Let's not pretend like the church has has conducted itself uh, totally righteously in, in this regard, or like we haven't caused problems. Because absolutely it's true, and we should maintain that truth. That homosexuality is sinful, but I'm not so sure that that Christians have the best track record in responding to this the, to gay people. So we need to know, we as the people of God, as the 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 body of Christ, as the priesthood of Christ, we need to know what God expects of us. We know what He expects of people who are struggling with this sin, and with sin in general, but what does He expect of us? That that have this knowledge, that have this information. How are we supposed to live in this world surrounded by sin? Okay? So, questions. Can a Christian, can and should a Christian affirm and support LGBTQ? And, again, the simple answer is no. Uh, we, we, cannot, we, we cannot be affirming um, and say, yes, this is okay, this is not a sin, what you're doing is fine, you can live however you want. So after naming this homosexuality among that long list of other types of iniquity th- uh, that we looked at in Romans chapter 1, the Bible says this in Romans one thirty two, knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. So it's not just the people that are participating in the sins, but people who are rejoicing and celebrating those sins with them. So we can't be the kind of people that look out to the world and, and oh, con- congratulations, and we're so proud of you, and we're so excited for you, we're so happy for you living in this this sin. And it's not just that sin, but sin in general. I mean, we wouldn't, we wouldn't uh, create a parade for people who are in adulterous relationships, cheating on their, their spouses, and march along with that, and pat people on the back and support them. Sometimes it's, easy for us to overlook those things, and we're really quick to forgive people who are caught up in in heterosexual sins, but sometimes when it comes to homosexual sins, we just keep people at arm's length and never let them change, never help them to repent, and you're just kind of on your own sometimes, Uh, because we don't know what to do with that. We don't know how to to deal with that uh, properly sometimes, but we can't be the kind of people who take pleasure in people who are living in sin. That's simply the answer that we find in the scriptures. Uh, The second question, so does that mean that we as Christians ought to treat people in this community hatefully? Is that what that means? I mean, the Bible says they're worthy of death. Are we supposed to be all in their face and shouting at them and screaming and doing all these things? No. Absolutely not. We need to be, we need to understand this, uh, what God said and what Paul taught Timothy to do in the face of sins. He lived in Ephesus. It's a Roman-controlled town. It was very sinful. There was a lot of homosexuality. There was a lot of adultery. There was a lot of uh, human trafficking that was going on. There was abuse of children, stealing, covetousness, idolatry, drunkenness. All these things were going on in this world that Timothy was living in in Ephesus and trying to encourage the church there. What did Paul tell him to do in his interactions with people? 2 Timothy 2, 24-26 And the servant of the Lord must not strive but be gentle to all men. Gentleness. That's what we need to be. The kind of people that are gentle. Able to teach. Patient. In meekness. Instructing those that oppose themselves. If God... Perhaps we'll give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. That they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. That's the kind of people we need to be out in the world. That's the salt, that's the light that we need to be. Not jumping on every post we find on Facebook and, oh, you you people are going straight to hell. I've seen that kind of stuff. Not the kind of people who are mistreating maybe your coworkers, maybe your neighbors. I'm not going to ever talk to you. I'm not going to look at you. I'm just, so, I'm just disgusted by you. How are you going to reach people if that's the attitude we have? How are we ever going to take the message of the gospel to someone? You don't know if they're going to change or not. You don't know if that seed is going to take root in their heart. But our job is to plant and water carefully and kindly and gently. And, and we might be sitting here and we hear this and we're like, oh, we're just riled up and we're the kind of people that have a fiery spirit and we just, and, oh, we just can't submit ourselves to the will of God. We just oh, I can't help it. I've just got to be aggressive towards these kind of people. Well, there's warnings for us in the scriptures and we need to be the kind of people that are listening and obeying God's will. We don't get a free pass just because we're in the church. We can't ignore what God says to, about, uh, to us about being gentle and being patient and being meek in our approach to teaching people and helping others. If we do, how are we any better than the people who might, may be homosexuals that reject the word of God? We aren't. And Jesus says so himself in Matthew 10, 14 through 15. We must obey God's commandments, To Matthew 10, 14, and 15. And whosoever shall not receive you or hear your words when you depart out of that city or house, shake the dust off your feet. He's telling his disciples that are going around preaching this message of the kingdom to Israel, he says, go into these houses and teach them about the gospel. Teach them that Christ has come. Help them to repent. And if they don't want it, they don't want to hear you, just shake the dust off your feet. They don't want to obey it. Now, what's the conclusion of that lack of obedience and that irreverence towards God and towards his message? Verily I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. If we are the kind of people who are supposed to be the people of God and we hear the word of God and it tells us to be meek and gentle and not strive and it tells us to, uh, to be patient and it tells us to live quiet and peaceable lives and not be the kind of people that are stirring up strife and we reject that and don't want that, it's going to be more tolerable for those homosexuals that were destroyed in Sodom than for us in the day of judgment. Our punishment will be more severe if we refuse to hear the word of God. So we don't get a free pass just because we're Christians. In fact, we have greater responsibility because we're Christians. So how do we deal with it? How do we deal with the sinful world? If we go out and we're kind and we're gentle and all these things, I want to say something else too, and I think that sometimes we, we get afraid and we get confused and we get, we get threatened by the, by the thought of being nice to someone who is living in sin. Being nice to someone, being gentle with someone, being patient with someone does not mean that you approve or affirm their life. And if that's the case, then God is guilty of, of affirming people by showing them kindness. What does it say about the farmers? He sends rain on the just. And the unjust. There are simply blessings that God gives because of His kindness and His mercy that all people have access to, whether they're living in His will or not. You just get all kinds of benefits because you're a part of this world that God created, whether you submit to Him or not. And because God grants that kindness and shows kindness to those people by allowing them to have this blessing of the rain for their crops, even though they're not righteous people. That doesn't mean God is saying, Your life is good and you're okay. I'm happy with you. And I think some and I know this because I have I have felt this way when I was not sure what to do in the face of dealing with with people that were living in homosexuality or any other kind of sin. I was afraid to just be nice to people and I was very prickly and I was very I had my guard up all the time and I wasn't able to just be a, a, a human and try to connect with someone. Because I was so afraid that if I'm nice to them, they're going to think that I approve of their life. And that's just simply not true. It is just absolutely not true. Uh, being nice to someone doesn't mean you agree or approve and are promoting them at all. We can be nice to people and, and not approve of what they're doing. And uh, that's the difference between tolerance and acceptance. Tolerating things doesn't mean you agree with them. We put up with, with things, but we can also be nice and kind and gentle. We don't always have to speak up. We don't have to go to people. If we see people out and about in town and they're, we see they're a homosexual couple, it's not our job to go over there and get in their face and tell them how wrong they are. That's just not our responsibility. So how do we deal with the sinful world? Well, the Bible gives us answers for that too. 1 Corinthians 5, 9-13, I think is critical and it has been critical for me in my life to understand how I'm supposed to look at and react to the sinful world versus the world that we live in as a Christian community trying to follow the Scriptures. Uh, how do we deal with it? First Corinthians 5, 9-13. I write to you, and I, Paul is talking to these Corinthians. Remember, he's dealing with all these types of sins that they had at Corinth, and they're just an excellent case study uh, for how to deal with these problems. But he says, I wrote to you before, don't keep company with fornicators." So they took that to mean, I'm going to cut everyone off. I can't be around anybody that's fornicating, and that would include homosexuals, anybody that's living in, in these sinful uh, ways and sexual immorality. They took it to mean, oh, i got to cut everyone off. But he says, yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world, or with the covetous or extortioners or idolatrous, for then you must needs to go out of the world if we really want to get away from all the sin in the world, we need to leave the planet. That's what Paul is saying. It's just impossible for us to live in this world and not interact with people who are living in sin. It's impossible. And we can't hide under a rock. We can't hide that candlestick under a bushel. We're the light of the world. And that's not approval for us to go out and about and be in the world and say, oh, we're promoting Jesus, but we're right here partaking in the sin. And partying along with everybody else. That's not approval and a license to go and be like the world. It's just simply acknowledging reality. We're Christians and we have to live in this world and we're going to confront sin all around us. So he says, "I, I wasn't telling you to cut people off in general, like altogether totally, but what I was telling you, I have written to you to not to keep company if any man that is called a brother. He says, don't keep company if they're in the church. And they're not living right. And they're trying to live this dual life of being in darkness and being in light. If a brother be a fornicator, or a covetous, or an idolater, or a railer, or a drunkard, a railer, somebody who goes around bashing people and just yelling at people and talking about people, or a drunkard, or an extortioner, with with such a one, no, not to eat. So Paul says, I want you to focus your energy not not on the whole world, but on our world, the Christian world, our people, the flock of God. How do we know that? This is what Paul the Apostle said, for what have I to do to judge them that are outside of the church? What business is it of ours to go out and try to be the world police? That's what Paul is saying. It's not. Do not you judge them that are within? He's talking about the body of Christ. Aren't we looking at and and judging and holding each other accountable in the body of Christ, that's what our focus should be. Those that are outside, God will judge. Those who are outside of the body of Christ, who are not Christians, who have not chosen to submit themselves to the will of God, God will take care of that and deal with those things. Therefore, put away from among yourselves that wicked person. That's where our energy needs to be spent is looking at our own lives, making sure we're obeying the commandments of God and looking to the lives of one another and making sure that we're encouraging each other to follow the scriptures. And and it's really hard for us to hear. But Christians need to hear this too. We are not the world police. It is not our responsibility to make people obey God or to try to beat them into submission. To obeying the the, law, the the commandments of god sometimes we try to use the laws of the land and we want bills to pass so that we can force people to follow the commandments of god it's just not our, our job that's just not our responsibility and i know that's hard to hear and it might be hard for some to hear but that's just simply the truth the bible and its commandments is another hard truth the Bible and its commandments do not apply to those who don't want to submit themselves to God. They haven't entered into the agreement that we've entered into with God, that we're going to submit ourselves to his commandments. That's just true. And we know that principle. We get it. If you enter into a contract, I mean, there's several people here who deal with real estate. If you enter into a contract between yourself and some other, uh, some other party, you can't go to the neighbor next door And try to take their house and say well we signed a contract they're not part of the agreement that doesn't make any sense at all to try to do that they would laugh at us in our face if we tried to do that same thing is true with the scriptures we have entered into the covenant with christ we have been covered by his blood we have chosen to submit ourselves and we have we collectively are agreeing to help and support one another as the family of christ but the people, perhaps these next-door neighbors who haven't, who are not here among us, who haven't submitted themselves to God's will, who don't want to be a part, of, a, a part of Christ, it just doesn't apply to them. Now, it would be nice if people were willing and did want that. But some people don't, and we need to accept that. It's scary for us to acknowledge but it's okay if people don't want to follow god I mean, it's not okay because it's sad and it's a terrible reality and they'll be separated from god and i'm not saying be flippant and just don't care about people that's not what i'm saying but i'm just saying there's a reality we need to just acknowledge that not everybody wants it and that's heartbreaking but it just is what it is so the commandments do apply to you and i as members of the body of christ and that's where our responsibility that's where our responsibility lies, is to one another. That's who we should be concerned about. That's who we should be worried about. It's one thing for the world to be out of step with God. That's the world. It's going to be out of step with God. It's another thing entirely if our brothers and sisters are out of step with God. That's where we need, we need to care about. And again, this is all motivated by love. And, and our focus needs to be on helping fellow Christians in our transformation journey. We shouldn't focus... Uh, so much on the world that we're just so blind by our own selves and pretend that we have no issues and especially we should not pretend that there's no issues in the church that's a recipe for disaster but worse when there are issues in the church we don't need to just look the other way help your fellow christians transform and that includes if if we go out and preach the message and people hear it and they want to submit themselves and they come from a life of homosexuality or you know, any part of the LGBTQ, and they want to submit themselves and they're trying to change their lives, we're responsible to help them and help them in the transformation as well. Okay? God rebuked the people of Israel for not taking care of the house of Israel in Jeremiah 23:14. He says, I've also seen in the prophets of Jerusalem a horrible thing. They commit adultery. They walk in lies. They strengthen also the hands of the evildoers so that none will return from his wickedness the prophets of Jerusalem, the people who were supposed to be helping God's people repent and live in holiness and be His kingdom of priests, they were committing adultery. They were walking in lies. They were strengthening and helping the evildoers. And it created an environment where no one was repenting of their sins and they were just continuing on in their wickedness. He says, they are all of them to me like Sodom and the inhabitants of as Gomorrah. That's how God views us. We're just as guilty as the people of Sodom and Gomorrah if we choose to ignore living right ourselves and helping other people live right in the church, we're just as guilty. So we need to take these warnings seriously and not just use the information as a club to go and beat people into submission, but we need to use the Word of God to bring ourselves and our thoughts into the obedience of Christ and encourage each other as the family of Christ to do it, or else we're no better than the people in Sodom. That's a hard thing to hear in a hard reality but it's just true so this morning we've studied about what the Bible says about this very uh, in our time right now it's a very sensitive uh, topic it's emotionally charged I pray that you've seen that this has been done in love and in a spirit of meekness and gentleness and with the desire for us not to attack anyone but for us as Christians to know what does the Bible say we need to be armed with the information as individuals and as parents and and passing this on to our children And we need to be armed as the servants of God to know how to conduct ourselves and and be. And we have a responsibility. Go teach everyone. Go out into the world. Be the salt and the light of the world. Don't go and blend in with the world. But go out and teach all nations, any person. It doesn't matter if they're rich. It doesn't matter if they're poor. It doesn't matter if they're homeless. It doesn't matter if they have have all the riches in the world. Doesn't matter if they're heterosexual or homosexual. Doesn't matter at all. We need to go out to all the world, because we love souls, and God wants us to be the kind of people that love souls, go out and help people who are trapped by Satan at his will. We're responsible for that. Go out and help them. Baptizing, finding people who are interested, finding people who want to submit and want to change. And if they don't, move on. But go and find them and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost help them to be washed, help them to be clean, help them to be justified by the Spirit of God, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever Christ has commanded. And and that's our responsibility and our duty with the topic of homosexuality. I pray, again, that the sermon has been uh, enlightening. I hope that it's been uh, enriching as far as studying and knowing what the Word of God teaches. And perhaps there's repentance that needs to happen, whether we're dealing with the sin of homosexuality or... We've acted inappropriately towards people who are dealing with that sin, and we need to repent of that as well. Um, so, it, it's a heavy topic, of course, and and sensitive. But again, um, I pray that you'll see the spirit in which it was intended, and and that it will benefit you as we go out and and live and and uh, have our being in this world among this among the sinful world. If there's anybody here who deals with this sin in their life and you want prayers, you want help, you want strength, I want you to know, you know, there's a whole lot of uh, people have all kinds of attitude when they hear the word that it's safe or a safe place. But I want you to know that the church is a safe place for us to express that we have sins, we have problems, there's things in our life. We're not here to berate each other. We're not here to hurt each other or beat each other down. What we're here to do is to help each other. And so if you are struggling with this sin, don't be ashamed to to let us pray with you. And if it's something you want to do in private, you want to pull one of us aside, and you want to talk in private, and you want to pray together, we'll we'll do that too. We'll honor you in that way. And, and no one's been, we'll never force anyone to uh, to come up here and expose all of your dirty laundry in front of everyone. So. I want you to know that, that we truly care about helping you learn and grow in the Scriptures, and we care about you helping us learn and grow in the Scriptures. So uh, we want to support each other in that way. And if you're a Christian here this morning and there's repentance needed and there's, there's uh, things that you need to repent of as well, and even sin in your own life, don't ignore that because there's a, there's a whole list of types of sins that will keep us from inheriting the kingdom. And we don't want any one of us to not be there as well. So we ask and make an appeal to anyone who has a a need, who wants prayers, who wants strength and encouragement to please come forward while we stand and sing. We hope you enjoyed this teaching from God's Word. If there's anything we can do to help you in your walk with Christ, send us a message at facebook.com slash cfcnwa. To find more sermons, look for us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and like our Facebook page.